CAT scan, and they told me that uh, to go back to my doctor that I had gallstones and that they'd probably have to have it removed. Well, immediately I began to call people for prayer, and uh, I was probably had 30, 40 people praying for me. And I want to say this, you need the body of Christ behind you when you're in trouble. And uh, about two weeks ago, I, I came out to Myrtle Grove, and I went to the healing service. That was one of the times I was not leading the healing service, but I come because I wanted them to anoint me with oil and to pray over me because an hour and a half later, I had to go down to New Hanover Medical Group at Monkey Junction for an ultrasound. He looked at me and smiled when he got through and he says, uh, I just want to tell you, you did good because I had just left the and, and right now I want to put in a short plug for that healing service. If you're sick or got any problems that you can't get met at the altar as the elders pray for you, you need to get to that healing service. They sent it to the doctor after they read it. And he said, uh, he sent me a nice little letter, about ten words. He said, everything is fine. I'll see you next time. In other words, to the glory of God, I was totally healed. And I still want to say, the body of Christ was anointed by the living God to, for us to rely on the body of Christ and each other for every need that we have. God is our source, but he's provided a way for human beings to do it. So I encourage you to get to the altar on Sunday. And get your, uh, whatever you got wrong, get it prayed for. Take it to the elders. We got some fantastic elders. And if, and if you don't get it there, come to the healing service. I hope to see you there. God bless you and you have a good day. <laughs> well, I tell you what, there's no pain like gallstone pain. I've not had it, but I have seen people who do, and uh, it will send you to the emergency room pretty fast. Uh, Mike, and thank you for that uh, testimony. Ike is a man of faith, of, of course, and um, we just continue to cry out for God's mercy in our lives in our time of need and trust uh, Him for what He wants to do. So, Lord, thank you for giving us this time this morning as we spend our remaining moments together looking at Your Word and all that you uh, desire to accomplish in each one of us. Uh, Lord, we bless you and give you thanks now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, last week, I actually uh, shared just a little bit, and I've been talking on this concept of royal shift. And uh, what I've meant by that is that God is shifting around the earth right now, the body of Christ. And those of you who have been here, you're probably uh, beginning to be a little bit tired of me talking about it, but there's so many vantage points in what that looks like. God shifting us out of old ways of thinking into new ways of thinking. Uh, God shifting us out of, well, uh, servant mentality into recognizing that we're sons and daughters. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. We're God's friends, and we're, we're his, his, um, his sons and his daughters. And um, 
Let me just pause for a minute. We were singing the song, you know, from, I guess it's Isaiah chapter 9. You know, I saw the Lord and his train filled the temple and he took the coal and touched my lips just before I died and he, you know, made me holy. We don't have to wait until we die to become holy. Uh, because Jesus has already finished the work by which you and I are now absolutely holy. Because holiness is a person. Holy Spirit has come into our hearts and given us life, uh, and that is what makes us holy. It's not whether we don't smoke cigars. or drink a glass of wine, or say something stupid to your wife. I mean, those are behaviors, and yes, God is moving us you know, out of old behaviors to be sure, but the way we move is not by trying to work harder, it's by receiving the full grace of God by which God has, has declared you and me righteous because of the, the blood of the Son of God. So we've been talking about this shift that the body of Jesus is beginning to get. Not just here, but around the earth. We're beginning to awaken to an understanding of who we are. That is our, our destiny and our, our purpose in God. So last week, if you were here, let me start this little um, um, deal so you can see just a little bit where I'm going. Uh, we went to talk this morning about hearing God. We've been doing that, moving toward that, because sons and daughters... Jesus said, I don't call you a slave, but I call you a friend because a slave doesn't know what the Father's doing. I call you friends because I'm, I'm telling you beforehand. So sons and daughters have the capacity to hear by the Spirit and to see in the Spirit to what's going on. And, and our admonition then to one another is to begin to just do that, become seers and hearers of what God has in store for us. Now, last week, what I said is that God doesn't hide His, his Word uh, from us. He hides His Word for us. Because we answered the question last week, how, how, why is it so hard sometimes to hear God? Well, sometimes He hides His Word, not from us to keep us in the darkness, but He hides His Word for us so that we can go after it and discover it because what it does is it shows, it demonstrates a humility and a hunger in our heart as we're looking for that Word and discovering the riches um, of it. Seeking God then develops our royal character. Now Jesus spoke in parables, I mentioned last week, and Jesus didn't use parables just as sort of homespun um, illustrations of spiritual truth. You know, a man took seed and went out and sowed his seed. That sounds great and a good explanation, and it's true at one level. But God actually, Jesus, took his parables and he purposefully hid the word from those whose hearts were hardened so that they wouldn't understand the revelation of it and in their hardness of heart be condemned by it. So God is looking for men and women on the earth now who have a humility and a hunger by which they approach God and those who are hungry and those who are humble will begin to hear what other people don't hear and can't hear and they will begin to see what other people can't see. Now, God's first language is not English. Well... 
Why not? After all, everybody should speak English, right? No. Some people speak Spanish. Some people speak all, you know, languages all around the world. Well, you would think if God wanted to communicate to a person whose primary language is English or Spanish or Portuguese or whatever, that he would speak in that language. And indeed, he can and many times does, but his language isn't primarily um, a verbal uh, language. Now remember, the Lord is more uh, determined and excited about speaking to us than we are to hear. It was one of the core values I shared a couple of weeks ago. God is speaking, and he's more excited about speaking to us than we are to hear from God. So there are languages that are not perceivable only by the natural capacity, the auditory capacity, and there are languages that are not primarily understandable just by what we see. Now, when you begin to talk about hearing God, hearing by the Spirit, it takes us out of the arena of the natural, what the natural ear can hear, what the natural eye uh, can see. For example, we could take in this room right now, listen, there are songs being played. Some of them are rap, some of them are country western. Some of them are beep, and all these, these songs right now are being played in the atmosphere. Would you agree? Now, what do you have to have to hear it? A receiver. Hello? Now, that's the way God is. We're going to examine some of the ways that God speaks. Um, well, let's look at real quickly uh, at, first, at 2 Kings chapter 6. This is kind of an interesting uh, um, story. It's uh, the ability to see and hear is actually a gift from God. So if you want to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, this is the story um, of Elisha the prophet. And beginning at verse, I'll, I'll just summarize verse 12 of chapter 6 of 2 Kings and tell the story here a little bit about a man who couldn't see. Now, uh, uh, there was an enemy of Israel who was the king of Aram. And uh, he was making plans to come against Israel. Uh, but Israel had a secret weapon, and the secret weapon was a prophetic gifting on a person who went by the name of Elisha. So Elisha used to hear what the enemy king was saying in his bedroom. Now that sounds like a soap opera thing. I don't, I don't, this is not a particularly sexual innuendo. This is simply saying that Elisha the prophet began to pick up the intimate plans of the king, the enemy of Israel. Now, at verse uh, 12, um, so uh, one of the servants of the king of Aram uh, came and said, the king was getting after his guys. Hey, there's a leak, there's a, there's a, there's a person telling. They call it a leak, you know, they're leaking information to the king of Israel. And uh, they said, oh no, verse 12, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Now go and see where he is, the king said, and uh, then I may send and get him. And it probably was not a, uh, a positive and cheerful getting. He was going to get him, if you know what I mean. Uh, so, therefore, he, the king of Aram, verse 14, sent horses and chariots and a great army to Dothan, where they said Elisha was, and they came by night and surrounded the city. So we are going to have a war in Dothan. 
Verse 15, and when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out in the morning, uh, there was a great army surrounding the city, horses and chariots everywhere. Now, this was the servant of Elisha. He went out and he said, we are in big trouble. There was an army of the enemy of Israel encamped around us. Now, these were real enemies. So the servant of Elisha came back and he ran to Elijah and he says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha then answered and he said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Is that good? No. Elisha then, now see, Elisha's servant didn't understand And so Elijah, verse 17, or Elisha prayed and said, uh, Lord, open his eyes. And immediately the Lord opened his eyes, and the young man, the servant of Elisha, went out and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now the point that I want you to see here is that sometimes we don't see what's going on around us because we're looking with natural eyes or listening with natural ears. Elisha, therefore, prayed, uh, imparted, if you will, uh, to his servant the capacity to, to see, and immediately his eyes were open. And uh, he saw, and then uh, he reported back. He said, whoa, we're in good shape. God's armies are around. Now, there was an entourage of heavenly warriors that just walked with Elisha all the time. But see, people don't see him. Now the point is, you don't see that which is walking around with you either. Unless you ask God to begin to open your eyes to see and open your ears to hear. Now if you wind fast forward to the New Testament times, there was a man named Nicodemus and he came to Jesus at night. You know, He didn't want to betray his, his, uh, his hunger. And he said to Jesus, we know that you're a man that came from God because nobody can do all these things that you're doing in John chapter 3. And uh, Jesus said, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Because unless a person is born of the Spirit, they cannot see. You see, so being born of the Spirit then gives us the initial capacity to see by the Spirit, to see the things of the kingdom. Uh, So it is for each one of us, God is wanting us to have the ability to see more and to hear more. So Elisha prayed, uh, and there was an impartation of what was on Elisha, and his servant uh, began to see. Now, let me transition here just a little bit to spiritual gifts, because spiritual gifts are sort of the love language of of God. You all know that book, The Five Love Languages? that helps us understand our wives and our husbands a little bit better, but the gifts of the Spirit are probably the love languages of God. Uh, God blesses His people with His presence, and the Spirit of God comes into us by new birth and is released in us by baptism of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, so that the Spirit now lives in us, and where the Spirit resides, so do His gifts. They're not your gifts, they're His gifts, and the gifts of the Spirit are freely given to us. Now, normally, uh, they must be sought after. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, because God really doesn't give them to the complacent and the satisfied. He gives them to the hungry and the humble. 
So we, we seek after them and we ask God for uh, those spiritual gifts so that we might see. Now, uh, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition you real fast to Mark chapter 16. And let me just make a couple of comments um, about this text. Jesus tied spiritual gifts to the Great Commission. Now, one of the shifts that I think is happening, uh, the old shift is Christians would just you know, tell people about Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that, because how shall they hear, Paul says, unless somebody preach or share or teach or, or, or give witness to, to who Jesus is. But the shift that's beginning to happen is that God is going to use spiritual giftings upon His people, meaning the capacity to see and the ability to hear by the Spirit, and that's going to ramp up evangelism in the last days that, has, that will eclipse what has happened in the last 2,000 years. You see, there will be billions of people come to Jesus. Come on, somebody say, by faith I believe that. Billions of people that will yet come into the kingdom. How will they come? They'll come by God energizing His church, His people, with the capacity to see and the ability to hear. And when we begin to speak and do what Jesus told us to do, people will stand up and notice and say, I want your God. But see, that is not a God who just gives information. It is a God who demonstrates transformation through His people. And that's where the church is going. That's the shift that's uh, happening around the world uh, right now. Uh, so, um, spiritual gifts are not awards that you earn. Spiritual gifts are just that. They're gifts. We receive them freely. The word charisma, it's a gift. By grace you've been saved. The word grace is the same word for gift. By gift you've been saved. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. So spiritual gifts then are those things that enable us to see and to hear and to move in the power of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts should not be taken lightly. They're not optional. They're not like the dessert after your Sunday dinner that you can say, well, maybe not today, I'm kind of full. Spiritual gifts are absolutely essential for life in the kingdom. Now, having said that, Jesus ties spiritual gifts to the Great Commission. I want you to look at Mark chapter uh, 16. And, um, in fact, let me just turn there and read it real fast to you. Mark chapter 16. It's one of the Great Commission texts. And it says this. Um, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at table, um, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. Now, if Jesus rebuked his disciples for their hardness of heart, do you think there's anything we can learn from that? I think so for me. (laughs) Okay. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the great commission. He who believes and then is baptized as a sign of that belief will be saved, uh, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, who gets condemned? How does one get condemned? By not smoking cigars? Or by smoking cigars? You see what I'm saying? We trivialize the gospel. The way one gets condemned is when they refuse to believe. Where they harden their heart in self-satisfaction and they simply, I'm complacent, I'm just, I'm okay. Well, guess what? You go to hell, okay. Until you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him for everything that He freely gives uh, to you. Now, 
Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. And verse 17 said, And these signs will follow those who believe. Uh, In my name they'll cast out demons. They will speak with other languages. They'll take up, if they take up servants and drink any deadly thing, it will no way hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now what Jesus said is that there would be certain evidences that simply hang around with the people who believe. You can't make them happen, but you can take risks to have them happen. And one of them is to cast out demons. Sometimes demons just get, need to be told to get. Now, it's hard to discern sometimes what's a demon and what's poor behavior. I I get that. I understand that. But once in a while, we just tolerate way too much, and we need to tell the enemy to get like you're shooing a cat off your back porch. Now, if you're a cat lover, this might offend you. But once in a while, I just got to go, Get out! In the name of Jesus, be gone! Now what this text says is that God gives those who believe the authority to do that. You might not believe it. And therein is the problem. But those who believe, they'll cast out demons, they'll speak with other languages, they'll speak with the languages of heaven, and they will hear the languages of heaven. That's where we're going real quickly. If they pick up any serpents or drink any deadly poison, it won't, won't hurt them. Now, I'm told about churches up in the Appalachian Hills that actually handle snakes to demonstrate their spirituality. I'm not advocating that. I think that's foolish. But the Scripture says, if you find yourself in an evil jam, it won't won't hurt you because God said, I'm going to put something on you that most people don't have, and it's going to be my divine protection. Now, Drinking deadly poison? You know, sometimes uh, people who contract certain illnesses uh, to, you know, to eradicate the illness have to drink things that actually kill a portion of that illness, like chemotherapy or radiation. What I think is that when it is necessary, when you've determined by God that it's necessary to take something deadly into your body, I believe God will say, I will uh, lessen the effects of it upon you. If you drink anything deadly, it won't hurt you. It'll be directed at what it's directed toward, toward the cell that needs to be uh, killed. Now, all of the gifts of the Spirit then imply the ability to hear and the ability to see, hear the voice of God, see uh, what God is doing. Now, how does God speak to us? And what do these languages sort of look like? That's what I want to end with. And uh, I want to look at a couple of very familiar texts um, with you. One is over uh, in um, Acts chapter 2, and I'll read it here. And it's also quoting a text from Joel. And what this text says, let me just read it for you. I don't know if I put it up here or not. Let's see if I did. There it is. Um, The scripture says that it shall be in the last days. Anybody believe we're in the last days? Now that isn't the last day. 
But in the last days, now Peter thought he was in the last days, and if he thought, we certainly are. Now, if, if it shall come to pass in the last days, God says that I'm going to do something that it will begin with you, Peter, and it will escalate and increase as time rolls on. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, speak forth out of what they're hearing and seeing. And your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. I don't think this is saying if you're young you get a vision, if you're old you get a dream. On all flesh the Spirit will be poured out in increasing fashion as time moves on. Uh, and your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my bondservants, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, you see up here, one of the ways, one of the ways I believe that God speaks to people is through visions, uh, and through dreams, and through the prophetic word, and if you want to do your own study, which we'll look at at some point, um, in 1 Corinthians 12, the manifestations of the Spirit are word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, discernment, etc., etc. But I want to talk about these three, actually just two right now with the time that we have. The first one is vision, uh, that on your sons and your daughters I will pour out my Spirit. They'll prophesy, your young men will see vision. What is a vision anyway? That's the question. Well, let me answer it with a little bit of, of information. Visions actually... Uh, visions are the capacity to see. That makes sense? Um, well, there's a couple type of visions that we can clearly see in the Scripture. And the first uh, type is a vision of the mind. And I had one this morning. And uh, now I'm going to des I'm gonna describe, let me describe what it is, and then I'll show you the example that I want to share about my own life this morning. Um, a vision of the mind is as God projects images into your mind. Remember we talked about uh, uh, red and blue makes purple. Um, God takes um, our human mind and he, he flashes into our natural capacity images. Uh, so these, these images are what you might call sanctified imagination. Now let me give you um, simply a, an illustration here. I want you to think of pink elephant. Take a minute and, and see that in your mind. Can anybody not see that? You just can't? See, we do this all the time is the point. Now what I want you to realize here is that uh, we have the capacity to see and to imagine in all kinds of ways. When God gives us an, an, a, a vision of the mind, um, we often feel like they're our own thoughts or our own images. Okay? Um, then they come so rapidly that we discount them as they can't be from God. I mean, last week we talked about you have a 1,200 words a minute that are rolling in your head all the time. 1,100 of them were negative. Images are associated with words, and you have all of these images. Now God, in the midst of that, 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 all of those images, God flashes one of His images into your mind, and we got so many of them that we discredit it and say, oh, well, that couldn't be God. Remember a long time ago, 
in movie theaters, I think they, they use something. Buck, maybe you can help me in this. If you want to give a subliminal message, there might be 150 images on the, on the screen coming through. You know, all these, you know how film is made. I don't. But, and one of these images, you want to insert a big bucket of steaming, warm, uh, savory popcorn. It's a subliminal message, if, if, that, if it works like that, and I, I don't know. But see, the mind doesn't cognitively see it. You don't go, oh, I just saw popcorn. You don't see it. And, and so it is with, our, with flashes that God gives to our mind. We often don't see them, but they're subliminal until you begin to train yourself to slow down and ask God to begin to show you what is of Him. Now this morning, as I was praying and getting ready to come here, the Lord said, and, and what I, when I say the Lord said, actually I saw me praying for all of our children. Now I knew we had a baptism with uh, Ashley and, and Jason, but it wasn't about them at all. It was God, because he said, I want you to pray for our children in the first service. So I oh, said, yeah, that's probably me. See, see what I'm saying? I had a vision of the mind, and I was discrediting it because I get all these flashes all the time. And then I came here, and I look in the back, and there's this woman who has this real little baby. And, and then up here was, uh, was Paul and Aaron Ratty, and they had their, their newborn. This was their first time in church with the little one. Now, I'm not real smart, but you see, God said, I want you to pray for kids like we did here in the second service. And so I just had them stand up, and I see what I had was a, a vision of the mind. It was just one slide in the midst of a whole bunch of other things, and I was tending to discredit it, and God said, you see these two that are here? What did I say? Oh, okay, I get it. So we prayed for, as we did here, not just them and for the parents and of these newborns, but everybody. I said to them the same thing I said to you. Can you remember holding your little baby in your arms? Those of you who have children, I said, what I want us to do then is to remember that and hold them up, each one by name, before Jesus right now. And we prayed for our kids. We prayed for our grandkids. Now, I, I wouldn't have dreamt that up until God gave me the flash of seeing it and then reminded me by confirmation of these little ones in our midst at the first service. That's pretty rare. Well... The point is that visions are one of the ways that we hear from God, and one of the ways we get visions is by visions of the mind. And some of you are doing what I tend to do. You're discrediting, that can't be God. But if you will slow down and say, Okay, God, help me to see and to hear what you're speaking God begins to show you more and more, and then when you act on it and step out on it, He confirms it. Sometimes you'll confirm it ahead of time, like He did with me at the first service. The second type of vision, then, is what, what we might call an open vision. The first one is a vision of the mind. It's thoughts that God projects thoughts and images into our mind, and we have a hard time believing they're from Him because they sound so much or look so much like ours. The second one is a little bit more rare. I've never had one, but there are biblical precedences for them, and some of you may have had them. These visions are actually open visions where you literally, with your own eyes, see something that nobody else can see. Now remember, uh, let's take just a journey 
um, into the book of Acts, and Peter, we're told, goes up onto his roof, uh, and he begins to pray. And, and, and Peter's a good Jew. He's a good Jewish boy. Now, I don't think he was Orthodox. He was a rough-hewn fisherman. But he lived in a Jewish culture. It's like somebody would say today, well, he was sort of nominal. You know, when I went into the Navy, they had to put something on my dog tags, and I wasn't a Christian. I was a raised hell, just, you know. And they said, what religion are you? And I said, Protestant. That's what I got on my name tags. And it was three years later that I actually, two years later, that I actually came to Jesus. And then I could, I could put a whole lot more on that dog tag. But here's, here's the point. Um, uh, Peter is up on the, on the roof, and he's praying, and all of a sudden he sees a sheet beginning to come down from heaven, and it's filled with all kinds of nasty critters. What were they? They were unclean animals. They were probably snakes. I don't know, it doesn't say, but they were unclean. They were alligators, maybe. They were snakes, maybe a few pigs, little pig going, you know, guys. Uh, maybe, who knows, all kinds of unclean animals. And what he sees, and then he hears the voice that says, kill and eat one. Well, Peter's a good Jew. He said, oh, no, not so. Can't do that. Why? Because the Old Testament dietary laws forbid such things. And he hears a voice again, kill and eat. Oh, no, sir. A little prideful in my Jewish, you know, heritage. And God said the third time, kill and eat. And then Peter began to get it, that it, the vision he was seeing and the voice he was hearing, God was speaking something about these unclean animals. And as you go forward through Acts chapter 10, you begin to realize he understood that these Gentile people would not be considered by God unclean animals anymore. So when Peter heard kill and eat, then God sent him to the house of Cornelius, a good unclean animal, if you will, in the eyes of the Jew. And God said, not only are you going to go there, you're going to go into his house, you're going to fellowship with him, you're going to hang out with him, and you're going to declare the good news that I love him every bit as much as I love you. You see, that's the gospel. Unclean people, in the eyes of some, are not unclean in God's eyes. Some of you today are still calling yourselves unclean. When God says, no, you're clean. Well, but you know, I yelled at my wife and I got drunk. and You know, we do all kinds of stupid stuff, but that doesn't make us unclean. What makes us clean and holy is Jesus in our lives. God will work with our, 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 um, our behavior but our behavior doesn't make us clean or unclean. You understand? The blood of Jesus makes me clean. It's, my sin is desperately wicked, but the blood of Jesus was spilled so that God could look at me, an unclean animal, if you will, and say, you're clean. You are holy. You are righteous. You have been chosen from the foundation of the earth to be holy and blameless before me. 
Now that is the gospel, and when a church begins to get it, there is a major shift that begins to happen by which we walk in our destiny and we begin to see who we really are as Christians. It's because of what God did for us. So Peter had an open vision. God gives us, His people, visions of the mind and occasionally open visions, but sometimes God gives us dreams. I'll just take just a minute to unpack here a little bit, but we all dream. Most of us don't remember our dreams, like me. Well, let me tell you, uh, the first kind of dream that we have is, well, it's what one author calls a virtual reality dream. A virtual reality. It's not reality, but it's a virtual reality. And let me give you an example of that. Um, Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 36 Nebuchadnezzar has a virtual reality dream. And he sees, all, he sees trees and it's hewn down and you know, all these colors and numbers and all this stuff. And the thing with virtual reality dreams is that they really need somebody to interpret them. And hence, Daniel, come in, can anybody interpret this dream? Not only will you interpret the dream, but you're going to tell me the dream and then the interpretation. Now that's prophetic. You understand? Having a dream doesn't make you prophetic. Being able to interpret it has a prophetic uh, spin to it. So that's one example of a virtual reality uh, dream um, that Nebuchadnezzar has. Now let me, let, me give you, let me tell you about mine. And I don't know if my wife remembers this or not. She may. But my wife does things in her sleep. She just, she's got the gift of you know, jumping up and just doing things, and I, I don't. I just sleep right through everything. But bless her heart, we, just, you know, we, we get used to it all the time. Well, I don't do that normally. Well, I had a dream. And it was one of these virtual realities. There's color, and I can't remember it all, but I shared it with one of our intercessors uh, last Wednesday night. And it happened about a week ago, and I'm walking along, and all of a sudden these black sort of amoebic, you know, they weren't bats, they were black, changing shapes were zinging past me. I was like, well, this is wild. Here comes another one. These black things out of nowhere. You know, and I was like, wow. And all of a sudden, one came, and it just hit me full bore. Like that. And as soon as it hit me, I cried out, and I said, I don't remember what I said. It was only three words. I should have gotten up and written it down immediately. But I said, get away, or I got it, or I see you, or something like that. And with that, I literally said it, and my wife, she, she started laughing and talking, and it was like... I don't know if I awakened her or if it was just chiming into something she was dreaming or not, but what I began to see is that was one of these virtual reality dreams, and as we prayed with some of our intercessors, they were saying, you, know, you need to just be careful. As you begin to share this stuff that you're sharing with the church at large around, the enemy is not, he's not pleased. He wants to keep us in darkness. He wants to keep us in the inability to hear, the unwillingness to see, so that we don't speak into the lives of other people and set them free. He wants to keep people in their deadness and in their darkness because he's a liar. The enemy came to kill and scratch and to destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life. Okay, that was a virtual reality dream, and I didn't really understand it. And the next day or two, I shared it with one of our intercessors, and uh, they said, you know what? The enemy would really like to clobber you. But, but you got what you need, and that is, get away from me. The blood of Jesus really is sufficient. The armor of God, blood of Jesus, helmet of salvation, all that stuff in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, 
let's move forward and look at the next kind of dream. The next kind of dream is a reality dream. See, mine was a, I think it was a virtual reality dream. I didn't really see a demon, but it was a virtual reality dream. It was these shapes, and God was just saying, uh, be prayerful and watch out. Now, a reality dream, let me give you a couple of examples. They're real experiences. They really happen in your sleep. Uh, Genesis chapter 20, verse 3, we have the story of Abimelech um, in a dream at night. Now, he's a good pagan guy, too. And um, Abraham, the man of God, the man of faith, uh, was coming into the region of where Abimelech was king, and um, his wife Sarah was a hottie. She was a looker. And Abraham, the man of faith, said, well, let's tell him, the king, because I know we're going to cross him, let's tell him you're my sister. And so that's exactly what happened. Abimelech came and he sees Sarah, and he takes Sarah to become one of his, the members of one of his um, concubines, presumably. Now, Abimelech goes to sleep, and he has a reality dream. God comes to him. Now, the scripture does not say that Abimelech dreamt of God. It says that God came to Abimelech and said, You are a dead man. How'd you like to get that message? From God. You are a dead man because you have taken another man's wife. And Abimelech in the dream begins to talk with God and he says, oh, it's because of the integrity of my heart I haven't touched her. And God says to him, no, it is because I have kept you from touching her that you live. You need to return this man's wife. Goes right back to Abraham and said, why did you tell me this was your sister? And the story unwinds from there. But the point is that Abimelech had a Reality dream where God comes into his dream and says. Pretty wild, isn't it? Let me give you another example. The scriptures are filled with them. This whole book is full of supernatural stuff. Uh, let me give you one that everybody knows about. Um, in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph didn't dream about an angel. It said the angel of the Lord came into his dream and said, take your son and take him to Egypt and do it now. Joseph woke up, bundled up the baby, got Mary all together, got their donkeys and whatever goods they had, and that same night they went to Egypt. Why? Because Herod, he told Joseph, wants to kill Jesus. Herod still wants to kill Jesus, folk. And where is Jesus? Jesus is in us. And the enemy is still trying to kill the sons and the daughters. You see, he'll do it by a ton of different ways, but that's still his agenda. Now, when you get to Egypt, I'll tell you when to come back, and this will fulfill the word of the prophet that says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Okay, so we got virtual reality dreams, we got reality dreams, um, and now let's look at uh, some of what uh, Job says about dreams. This is kind of an in interesting text, and I'll, I'll end with this and then just give us an encouragement in terms of how to begin to see and how to hear. In Job chapter 14, verses, uh, or Job chapter 33, verses 14 and through 18, it says this, 
Indeed, God speaks. Remember core value number one a few weeks ago? I said God wants to speak to you more than you want to hear. I think God's always speaking. How? He's speaking through images of the mind that we discount, through dreams when God speaks and we go, that was my pizza we had last night, right? That couldn't be God. Indeed, God speaks once or twice, yet no one notices it. How many dreams have you had where God has spoken and you go, well, you slumber, you sleep, you say, no, that's not God. How do they do it? In a dream, in a vision of the night, when sound sleep falls on men, while they slumber in their beds, then He opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. What that means is, One of the ways God speaks to people is through their dream life. Now, I don't know a whole lot about this, but there's been a lot of books written about it. And if you want to Google them, you know, there's a lot of them out there that you can do your own research on. But what I am saying is the Word of God says when you go to sleep at night, probably one of the things that you should do based upon this text and the examples of Joseph and other people is you want to say, God, here I am, speak to your servant. Through visions, visions of the night, uh, uh, virtual reality, dreams, real dreams come. Have you ever woken up, awakened in the middle of the night or in the morning and it just felt like you're wrung out? I wonder why. I wonder if in fact you've been having a reality encounter that you haven't realized. Because see, the Spirit never sleeps. God never sleeps, nor does he slumber. We go to sleep and we slumber on our beds. And in that place of slumbering, God sometimes speaks to us reality dreams, but sometimes our spirit's doing real warfare or really traveling. I don't know what all that means, but I just know that God's doing some stuff in his people right now that we need to pay attention to what God is speaking through a multiplicity um, of ways. So let me end uh, with saying this. Um, pay attention to what God is speaking, either through visions of the mind, open visions we, pretty get, we get pretty easily if you literally see something, uh, virtual reality dreams or reality dreams. Begin to pay attention. Steward those impressions. See, if it's true that, that God speaks once or twice, yet we do not notice it, it's because we're just going about our own business. So when the people of God begin to say, Ooh, God, you're ramping it up in these days. You said you'd pour out your spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters, you know, on all your sons and your daughters, visions, dreams, prophetic word. I want to be one who is a hearer. I want to be one who is a seer. Anybody in here like that? Now, when the... When the the servant of Elisha the prophet couldn't see, the prophet prayed for him. Open his eyes, Lord, and help him see. So we're going to end by simply praying that God would begin to open our eyes so that we would see and open our ears that we would begin to hear. Now, God's looking for the hungry and the humble, not the complacent and the self-satisfied. So if you're at a place where you want to hear more or see more, we steward um, your impressions we consecrate our heart and our mind. We can come up with stupid stuff. You know what I'm saying? 
We can hear and think we hear all kinds of crazy stuff. So you consecrate your heart, you, you give over to him uh, your mind, and then you begin to write down and ask God specifically what he wants to speak to you about. Oh, and then because, God, I'm going to trust you such that when you say to do something, I'm going to step into it and do it and trust you and take a big risk to do that. Now here's what's going to happen. God's going to begin to speak to some of you about people that you see that you don't know. See, it's going to be power evangelism where you just, you're not going to come up and stick Jesus down your throat, but you're going to be on an airplane or you're going to be out and about in a mall and God's going to say, see that guy over there? You say, okay, Lord, I see him. What do you see on him? And God begins to turn on the lights and you begin to see a man that is bored out of his mind. You begin to see a man that is hopeless in life and God fills you with compassion and God says, I want you to go over and tell him about me. Now, if you hear that or see that by one of those flashes, you simply walk over and in a loving and gentle way, you open the door, so you say hi to him, and then you proceed as God might show you to and simply say what the Lord gives you to say. And you do it in a loving kind of way. Now, don't tell him he's a sinner. He knows that. You know what I'm saying? That's this old prophetic stuff. I've got to tell this person, you, know, you, got, you need to get right with God. No, how about it's the love of God that leads us to repentance? How about there's a Savior? When I was dead, God sent His Son Jesus to pay the price so He would look at the likes of me and see me like the likes of Jesus. That's what people want to see. That's power evangelism when you walk out and step and take a risk and speak. God's going to begin to do that in our lives for those who want to see and for those who want to hear. Now, if you want to hear and see, I want to pray for all of those of you who would like to hear better or see more. See more, you know, see more. So stand up if that's you, and I just want to pray for us, and we'll conclude. Worship team, come on back up, or whoever's going to close. Let's just pray for a minute. Here's what I want you to do. It's, it's, it's God, here I am. I would like to see more by the Spirit I would like to hear more accurately by the Spirit because as I steward that, I'm going to trust you to show me how to walk in it. You're not going to make me like some kook. You know, I'm not going to be weird. Okay, I'm just going to receive and speak in a natural and relational way to the people that I see around me. So, Father, as hearts are now being lifted to you, you hear the request of their heart, God, that we want to be a people who are seeing more clearly and hearing more accurately. And so, Father, as the, the prophet Elijah prayed for his servant and said, God, would you open his eyes so that he might see? God, I speak to this congregation right now and say, God, would you open their eyes so that they might begin to see? Lord, would you begin to open our ears so that we might here, because God, you're shifting us into an organism who is fully enabled by your Spirit to walk in these days with excitement fulfilling the destiny and the calling that you have upon our lives. So God, release it right now unto the children, the sons and the daughters of God in the name of Jesus. And everybody said together. Amen.
Ministry team, some of our elders, if you'd come and just make yourselves available, if you'd like special prayer before you slip out for anything further, releasing what God's doing in your life, I invite you to come. If you've never given your life to Jesus, this would be an awesome opportunity for you to do that. Just come up and say, I need to know Jesus, and we'll help you in that birthing process. God bless you, and have a wonderful day today in Jesus.